Hello everyone, that Weems guy here for yet another episode. And I want to start today by announcing that we have created a Facebook group for the show. If you search that Weems guy show on Facebook and go under groups, you will find a link to it. And in that group, we will discuss episodes and the guests are all invited to be part of the group and to share reading lists pertaining to their episodes, answer questions, etc. So yeah, if you like the show, Feel free to come into the group because you are indeed someone's smart friend if you've reached this point. Uh, Cecil, I got to tell you that the two biggest things that I'm enjoying about the show is that now that when people that listen to it travel through Oklahoma or Texas, they stop at a Brahms and they take a picture and send it to me. And I get tagged in on every post on Facebook that makes fun of John Hearn. There's that. <laughs> so, so, so th- that's reason enough to keep the show going right there. Uh, joining me today, even if you were losing money left hand over <laughs> fifth, there's reason to pushing it. Right. Uh, joining me today are Cecil Birch and Daryl Bulky, and maybe at some point in time during the show, Chuck Haggard. We don't know if he's going to be able to make it or not, but uh, these three gentlemen have a class that is upcoming at the Meat Hall Range, which is in Oklahoma. And it is NPE counter robbery. And the focus of this episode is going to be a discussion of that class, what it is, what it isn't, and other tidbits. But before we get into that, uh, this week is the anniversary of the passing of Pat Rogers. He was very noted in the training industry. I never had the pleasure or honor of meeting Mr. Rogers, but I know these guys have. And so, Daryl, take it away. Pay tribute to Pat. Well, first and foremost, it's not Mr. Rogers. That was Pat's dad. So <laughs> Pat would always tell you if you called Mr. Rogers, that was his dad. Um, you know, I spent a year after Pat's death in a horrible depression because Pat losing Pat for me was almost like losing a close relative. He was one of my dearest friends. I talked to him several times a week and was a huge influence uh, on me as a not just a trainer and the kind of, he was the, you know, that, that cop rabbi, uh, that, you know, training rabbi for me, uh, throughout sort of my growing in this industry as well as, as a cop. So, um, I, I spent a lot of time talking to Pat. Uh, I, one of the weird things that happened was, uh, Pat before his death, I think knew that something wasn't right. And I found out later he was doing with me what he was doing with a lot of people, which is, uh, you know, making phone calls and talking about, all we did is talk about revolvers for about six months of these massive info dumps. And I kind of got the Pat Rogers encyclopedia of not revolver knowledge. And most people don't really associate Pat with revolvers, but most of Pat's greatest work as a cop was all done with a wheel gun. Um, I own Pat's uh, revolvers, uh, most of them. And, you know, it's uh, it's a tradition I've tried to uphold. And he was, like I said, just a huge influence on my life. Um, he was supposed to teach at Revolver Roundup that year. It was going to make a surprise appearance, which is why I thought we were talking about revolvers every conversation. And uh, we ended up renaming the Revolver Roundup and as a Pat Rogers Memorial that's coming up in November. And we've moved it to Gunsight. And it's kind of a huge event now. And been well attended and it's a good way to really memorialize pat so uh yeah tough week um life has been tough without pat but you know we we most of us have been blessed uh many of us have been blessed to have been touched by pat 
and uh, I consider myself blessed um, with, with the knowledge that he passed on to me about not just gun stuff, but life stuff. So. All right. Cecil. Um, I never actually trained with them. Um, it was kind of funny because uh, there's a very good friend, a mutual friend of Daryl and mine, Chris, who's um, local law enforcement, who was one of, you know, Pat's proteges. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and uh, by definition, right? Not a whole lot more people were more than that than Chris. And um, he used to bring Pat every year. And I shoot with I shoot with Chris. Chris is one of my shooting mentors. And I would get the information dumps on, you know, oh, this class and this while Pat thinks about stuff This is what he's doing on this stuff. And every time there was a class, I was gone. Literally every time he was in Casa Grande, I was gone. And it was like, oh, you know what? I got to do this. I got to figure out a way to make time for this, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, Chris, let me know ahead of time. And it just, it was one of those where it never worked. And when I actually heard he passed, it was one of those where you kick yourself because you go, I got plenty of time. I, I got, I got all the time in the world to train with these guys. And you really don't, um, you don't, you don't really know. And for somebody like that, I should have made that gargantuan effort as opposed to, I'll get to it, you know, but my life's busy and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, Casa Grande's an hour drive from my house, you know, and it's, the host is one of my close friends and all, I have every reason to have gone except uh, it just didn't work out. And it was just, you know, after um, losing a couple people like that in the industry that I was very close to, it's one of those things that you just kick yourself. Like, so, so when people say, Oh, I wish I trained more with William or I wish I trained more with Todd green. I'm like, you know, I can't really, get on you because I did the same thing myself with Pat and it's, you know, and and as more, as I get more into, you know, embracing my, my love of revolvers and going to the point where I love shooting that more. It's every time I kick myself, Daryl will throw out something. Oh, Pat said this. And I'm like, I could have got that firsthand, but I'm an idiot. Yeah. I found the open enrollment circuit in 2014, as I've, I've said a, a, a lot on the show. Um, I was actually reading a book by Louis Auerbuck when Louis died. Yeah, missed that chance to get out there. Um, Todd Green, I know, had been in my area uh, several times before I, you know, had any kind of frame of reference for him. And so I, I never trained with him. And then it was too late. Um, and, you know, then pat and so that kind of inspired me to go hit some of the older you know more established people as quickly as i could i haven't made it to all of them that i want to but that's one of the hard things about being in the training business is it's hard to run a business and be teaching classes and get to classes as a student because there's 30 weekends a year in which we can do this if you take out all the holidays and the extreme weather months and everything well everybody else is running running classes those same weekends and so it's just really hard like randy kane is someone i dearly want to train with yep. and he doesn't actually he actually doesn't live far from me but the class schedules never seem to line up and it's just always a 
Uh, I think Jared Reston's one I want to train with, and I just can't make the schedules work. And, you know, I'm sure Rob Hawt's another that I've just never been able to get in. And as you say, we never know. We never know. Never know. All right, so let's get into the, the, the class, and it's NPE, counter-robbery. So first, let's talk about what the class is and what it isn't. Daryl. So this is basically a class conceived out of three guys having conversation. And it kind of came out of, gee, what does this industry really need? <laughs> you know, you know, cause we all complain about stuff of, you know, where a lot of this stuff is going. And we kind of configured this. Um, I think Cecil was probably the, the foundational instigator of it as so much of this country lives and works in places that you can't carry guns. Whether even if you can legally carry it, most a lot of people can't carry at work, can't carry in a lot of environments, uh, cannot be wholly dependent on carrying an, an optically sighted USPSA open optics pistol with them every minute of the day. And they have very specific needs that we don't think the industry has been addressing and their needs. And then sadly, a lot of this all gets based on, it's all about shooting or it's all about, uh, you know, extreme close quarter combatives or so we decided, why don't we come up with a class and we'll see if we could actually sell it for normal people and give them the opportunity to come to a class dressed like you're going to a business meeting, you know, wearing business work clothes, like adult working clothes, carrying a little tiny pistol or revolver of the type that you would deep conceal in that environment if you were working in an environment or operating in an environment where detection of a firearm would be you know, life-changing. And then let's put these people in the types of scenarios that they're likely to face on the street, not a home defense thing or whatever that you're trying to get from your work to your car. And what is the most likely situation you'll find yourself in, which is going to be probably a street robbery or, or assault. Um, and then with the women, you can add in a sexual assault with it. So and we kind of looked at what ties all those together and all of us do a lot of the same thing, but we broke the class. So I'll let Cecil talk about his end. I'll talk about mine. We can just kind of fill in Chuck. So from my end, I'm doing the firearm stuff. And what we're doing is it's not a shooting class. We'll do a little warm up just to kind of make sure everybody's on board with at least safely operating the firearm. And going from there and once they're safely operating that firearm and hitting what we need them to we put them into scenarios where they have to make very difficult shoot no shoot decisions very difficult backstop decisions very difficult decision making that they're going to be faced with with a carry firearm and it's not about shooting it's really about decision making of lethal force and 
we had great results from the first time we ran this class. I mean, we had amazing. And they're going to have to put that together with all of the other skills that this might be a physical thing. This might be a pepper spray thing. This may be a gun thing. It may escalate, de-escalate, but to at least give people an opportunity to sort of feel that in a no pressure environment where we can coach them through it. And that's kind of what we're doing on the firearm side. Um, like I said, I'll let Cecil describe the, the kind of hands-on side of it, but it's, it's a multifaceted thing for normal people to delve into what they're probably going to face for real in a street encounter. All right. So Cecil, is this going to be fight club? No, it, like Daryl said, it's not a shooting class, but it's not a fighting class either. It's, it's what's the most common situations you're going to encounter and what do most normal earth people have to be able to do to deal with it. Sure. Would it be great if you had Daryl and Chuck shooting ability? Sure. Do you have my fighting, you know, hand-to-hand ability? Sure. That's great. Uh, you can have, you know, great, you're super strong, you have great cardio, all, all that kind of stuff is great. And it would be something that would be nice to work for. But the reality is the core skill sets that you pretty much need to solve these problems are much simpler Anybody can do them, but, you know, we looked around myself, Daryl, Chuck, we looked around and we did, yeah, we saw pieces here and there. There's, you know, Murphy's got a great class trying to hit those kind of things. Um, you know, and you see bits and pieces, but it's not in that overall thing. And so we're, we're basically looking at, okay, what does criminal violence look like? That's the thing that I think is so overlooked in all of this. Everybody talks about all these gear centric ways of dealing with that. It's like, yeah, but if you don't recognize criminal violence, if you don't know what it looks like, if you don't know how it starts, if you don't know how criminals operate, you're going to be so far behind the curve. It probably doesn't really matter that you've got that sub second draw with your, you know, role in special. Because it's going to be too late. You're going to be eating dirt. That's probably a good outcome because it might be a lot worse. Um, You know, a lot of people talk, you know, I'm a big proponent of pocket carry as you know, and Daryl is, and we talk about it in the class. But one of the things that kind of gets me a little hinky is, you know, you have people out there going, yeah, I can walk around with my hand on my gun and in the pocket, you know, Daryl's, you know, amazingly, uh, you know, named covered low ready, but what they don't listen to when Daryl says it is you've got to know what criminal violence looks like, because if you do that all the time, what's going to happen is you're not getting that 0.95 draw with the guy's face full of, you know, wad cutters in the, in the guy's dome, you're going to get beat. The gun's not coming out, or if it does, it's never going to come on target. It might get used against you. So yeah, you can spend a lifetime, Daryl and Chuck, on the street looking at criminal violence, or you can c- try to, can we put this together in a way that people can learn, at least start to grasp these ideas pretty quickly in a, in a condensed format that, that they can then take and work on themselves. So we look at what does it look like? How should we act? How should we respond? How should we move? 
And then if there does need to be that next step, okay, we'll look at a couple physical responses. We'll, we'll look at how not to get knocked out if the attack happens. And, we, and we'll look at what uh, Craig calls default cover, which is more of a reactive thing. The fight's already started and we need to deal with that. Or you know something bad's going to happen. And we can have that proactive where we decide, you know what, I need to do something else besides a harsh language at this point. And we can use a very simple IJAP. Past that point, now it becomes maybe OC spray, or maybe we need to go to the gun. But that's how this all starts to work together. We're looking at criminal violence, what we need to do to deal with it. And then we've got these little pathways, depending on what happens that we might have to look at. So it's certainly not fight club. Nobody's going to get beat up. Nobody's going to, oh, let's put the fist helmets on and let's shoot each other with, with UTMs for the next, you know, eight hours, which is fun. I like that. I enjoy that. Well, especially I enjoy teaching it, not necessarily being on the receiving end of. You can watch it all day long. Yeah, exactly. I can watch (laughs) it all day long. I never get tired of that. It's amazing, but it's not about that. It's, it's, getting you to think and to know things and then to have a usable skill set. You know, the, the, the shooting situations that Daryl puts you through, it's all thinking. The shooting skills are not super complex. The thinking stuff is just as how do you deal with that encroaching unknown? And you're not sure he's hostile. Maybe but you just, you can't go overboard with this stuff. Just like you can't automatically just go uh, burn it down, hose everybody down, you know, and damn the torpedoes. Who cares what the consequences are? You said something very key there. The shooting is not that complex. Mm-mm. In most of the, the, the incidents that I've worked over the years, and Daryl's worked for more than I have because of the area that he worked, the shooting situation, the shooting problems were not hard to solve. The big problem is the ambiguity of the situation right up until the fight starts. And if you can recognize the signals that the fight's coming, it's a whole lot easier to win that than it is when you realize that when you're getting your face punched in, you're on the ground disoriented, you know, eyes all watered up just because you've got your bell rung, trying to figure out where the blows are coming from. That's a completely different problem than I'm ready to you know, go. We, uh, go we, we kind of started with the premise of this. And, you know, we've discussed this before with, you know, what I define kind of going to trouble guns versus getting out of trouble guns. We started with the premise, and that's why we kind of call it counter robbery, is that most of these attacks are going to start with an encroachment in the space where the criminal needs to be able to touch you. You know, to to rob you, they've got to be close enough to take your property. To assault you, they have to be close enough to touch you. To sexually assault a victim, they need to obviously be not only that entangled. So we're starting with the premise that these shooting problems are going to be very kind of close range when it degrades to that. The physical component that Cecil's doing is starting with the premise that we're, we're entering inside of this entanglement range. 
And the stuff Chuck's covering with the non-lethal sprays and responses is also coming in that they're, they're encroaching into an area um, of trying to set a chemical wall to, to prevent this thing. So it's all done in a fairly close environment. So what close environments bring is that your decision-making stuff needs to be at warp speed because that time and distance is so close and things are happening kind of so fast on the buildup that you need to be able to sort of recognize it. And kind of the beauty of how we teach this class is it's not really kind of traditional instruction to take that we do instruction with the students, but then what we do is we do a whole lot of coaching is we sort of give some instruction we let the students basically run some problems and some of which turn into absolute train wrecks. And then we coach them through, let's try to fix this and get them a better response that's coached through. And we break them into small groups. So they're working with very small groups with each instructor and kind of rotating. And what it allows for is people to see that their theories that they've gotten from, again, these are for normal people. They've gotten these things or theories to most of them. They've never really been exposed to prison yard violence. They've never been, or they've been horrible victims of a crime, which got them into the self-defense stuff. But whatever it is, they don't have a good foundational basis on which to base their theory of how they're going to respond to things. So we're going to kind of give them the typical inputs you're going to see on the street and then let them work through, well, I thought I would respond this way and it turned out that didn't work out so great. Or for some of them, it worked out great. We had some students that what they did was perfect and we had others that it wasn't, but we coach them into a situation that they now have sort of a preloaded shortcut response to what they're most likely to see if they're going to be victimized in a street crime and a, a, a group of responses because and you know it, we are in an industry that's completely firearms based and the reality is you may not have one or you may not have the one you want and, you know, and it was funny going home from the class, uh, I had a little uh, air travel issue and I got to practice what I preached that weekend trying to get home of I got dumped in Chicago at, you know, midnight trying to get to a hotel with uh, one of my carry on plane tools and a flashlight. So you know, you kind of end up in this situation that you, you don't end up being able to deal with some of this stuff real well. And you may have to put this into, even for us, may have to put this into practice that, you know, what we're doing. So, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll you know, it's a, a good package for people. Well, that, that inspired three talking points, just, just that one thing there. And uh, say something, I'll go to you with the first one. We have said that the shooting problems involved here are not that complex. And I think people get a false sense of how much time they have on the square range. 
you know, it's the old adage, three rounds, three shots, you know, three to five seconds, et cetera. Well, they go out and they get in their gunfighter crouch and they start the timer and then they burn it down for three seconds and they say, oh, look how well I did. Well, that doesn't take into account that the three seconds involves you recognizing the fact that you're in the fight. At the distances in which you're talking about in this class, it may not be your perfect draw strike. You may be having to fend off somebody with one hand as you're trying to get to your pistol with other or protect your pistol. And so I think that uh, is where you come in here. So go ahead and expound on that. Well, exactly. I mean, yes. Is there a time and a place to work the technical problem? Absolutely. We, we have to break down the individual components and work on them. But it's the overall context that's the important part. And we got to make sure all our technical skills fit in that. So it's real easy to say, okay, I know the fight's happening, so this is what I'm going to do. That's And if you know the fight's happening, there's a really good chance you're going to pull off what you want to do. Here's the problem. You talk to anybody who's been in these situations, especially private citizens, not professional gun bearers. Most of the time, the one of the first things they say is, man, I, it just came out of nowhere. I can't believe this happened to me. All those things mean nothing to the result of the fight, but they are cognitive overload on your brain. And you're trying to do your cool stuff. But in reality, the brain is going, hey, what is this? Why is he doing this to me? How did I get selected for this? It doesn't matter. And if the first time you ever experience that is when it's for real you know yeah could you can people survive that sure I, I mean the weirdest things can happen in a fight right people people jump out of you know uh you know 40-story buildings that are on fire and without a parachute and land and somehow survive i don't think that that's a um a plan that everybody should have if they're caught in a fire in a high-rise building, you know, just because it happened once in a great while, more than likely bad stuff's going to happen. So you have to understand how you might get there, but you also have to have these, these, uh, these concepts in, in play that you can go to that not preloaded that's a little too mechanical but that you have some things you can do oh i can't believe this fight's happened it's not going the way i want okay well i've done this and force on force stuff and i've had these things happen okay i can do x y and z which might be going to the gun but as daryl said maybe not in that perfect position not not when everything's exactly what you want what you wanted, what you, the way you desired. Oh, now you're only using one hand and it's not a perfect grip. And maybe you got your shirt partly caught in your hand. All these things can happen when you actually have to do it. And if you, if this is novel to you, right? Okay. So let's say something nice about Hearn where he talks about <laughs> as, as reluctant as I am to do that, you know, this idea that if you're going to look at a novel stimuli, you're not going to be perfect. I don't care who you are. You have to have some grasp of this 
kind of thing. Um, I, you know, Daryl says, you know, the shooting problem, and you, you were talking about how the shooting problem is not that complex. Really, the fighting from in most situations, the fighting problem is not that complex. Yeah, I'll go and spend a couple hours on the mat doing weird esoteric jujitsu stuff, but that's more because I'm doing the art and maybe I'm thinking about competing and I'm going against another black belt. If I go and roll with a new person, even if they're physically superior to me, I, I'm literally like this. Yeah, whatever, uh, whatever. I, I've had, I've had uh, students who I've been rolling with who get a little uh, irritated and upset that as I'm rolling with them, I might be coaching somebody across the map. And, and it's not that I'm being dismissive or, or whatever. It's just my kind of, my body's on autopilot dealing with what they're doing and my brain can do other things. Well, it's the same thing for real. If I don't have to worry about all those little things, and this isn't novel to me, this isn't, oh my God, I, why is this happening to me? Solving problems is not that, is not that tough, especially if you put in some time doing it. But I think that's, that's probably the thing that gets overlooked more in the self-defense community, not just the gun community, but the martial arts side as well. Martial artists are just as bad at assuming that every fight's going to start when they're at 100% mentally, physically, and emotionally ready to fight and they see it coming. Nobody trains that other part, which arguably is the worst part of the situation. You know, if I can interject one of the my big DB-isms that drives me nuts is as soon as I hear the phrase, and you can walk into, you know, pretty much anywhere in our community and hear this a lot of, and just, and social media is terrible, is it all starts with, a, what I would do is. Or I would just. And, I would yeah, just. I, and, and so I, I translate that to, I've never done this before, so I have a theory. And we find that a lot of people's theory, and what I would do is, doesn't really work when it actually happens and you know a perfect example is you know I'll give a little bit of the class away if you think for a minute that db is going to give you a one-dimensional paper target for you to do your your range ninja on uh, you'll be sadly mistaken in that uh, i'm going to hold you accountable for all four safety rules and i'm going to hold you accountable for things uh, that might be in front of your targets, things that might be in back of your target, family members in the middle of this thing, non-combatants in the middle of this thing. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of uh, chaos going on, which we're going to want you to dis dissect that chaos into. And, you know, we're going to try to coach you through some methodology for doing that on getting through the chaos to get to those technical skills you've worked on and to be able to put in the key is properly apply them because we'll give you every opportunity to also use too much or not enough force uh, to see what that looks like as well. And so it, like I said, this class is really an opportunity for some normal people uh, who have normal people jobs to get out there and sort of test this stuff without it hurting too bad 
you know, without really having to pay him blood for, for it, but to really kind of get coached through some very, uh, very pointed, very uh, sharply applied skills that will be most likely the skills you're going to need to pull on demand in a chaos situation. So that hopefully that, well, what I would do is we'll turn into, I've seen something that looks like this before, and I have a pretty good idea of some solutions to what this problem is. And I know what to be looking for, for some traps. I know what to be looking for, for some downfalls and negative outcomes and less optimal responses, what those look like. Because when I was doing my, well, what I would do is I found out that was less than optimal and gave me a horrible outcome when I tried it in, in an environment that is fairly uh, safe to try it in. You know, so that's kind of what we're trying to attain with this. And, and one of the other big things that we kind of did, uh, the beauty of all three of us too, we, we, uh, Cecil, Chuck, and I teach real well together. Um, we, we balance each other out quite well. And one of the things we did on the last class that, that turned out to be probably one of the best things we did that was completely unplanned is we sat down and did a gear discussion. So Daryl, Chuck, and Cecil sat down and we showed the students because we came, I, I showed up for that trip. The only thing I carried, I brought with me were two LCRs and 327 Mac. That was the only two guns I brought with me because I dressed, looked like I expected the students to. Um, we were all running, I think we were all running LCRs. Yep. Yep. And, you know, uh, Cecil and I had 32s and Chuck had a 38 and we were showing the students like in this environment, this is the gear we use. These are the brands of stuff and how we, we wear it. These are some of the improvised systems we use. These are some of the ways we conceal stuff. These are some options for you. And the question and answer that came out of that, I thought was one of the most beneficial things because the students can go, Hey, what do you think of this? Because, you know, I saw this here, the guy at the gun shop said or whatever. And you have three people who may give you differing opinions or all three of them are going to go. Yeah, if, if the three of us tell you that's stupid, it's probably stupid. <laughs> um, by the other thing, Cecil may go, I kind of like doing this in the environment I work in. And then I might say, well, you know, I've worked in other environments like that where this was a good solution for me for the problem you're facing at work and we had about a split class was really interesting we had kind of almost uh i want to say probably a third of the class at least was women yeah and most and and i would say probably fully half the class really this was sort of their first rodeo in this so we had really kind of this good balance of some people really technically good and trained a lot. And they were training junkies too. downright. I've never been to a class before, but if I got to go to one, this would be a pretty good one to go to, you know? So yeah. uh, it was very applicable because you got to see a lot um, both and the students got to watch each other, which is always a great thing to you. A lot of people, you're so stressed out going through it that you don't really gain as much knowledge as watching other people. 
uh, how they're dealing with the scenario. And you're kind of in your head, well, I said, I don't know if I would do that. Or my gosh, that was a great idea. So, you know, we, we kind of give them that opportunity to both see and participate. I think one of the obstacles that people put in their own path to come into such a class is the fear of failure and being embarrassed. Uh, so I want to go to each of you and, and say, how would, if a student were to call you today, or if they were sitting right here in this interview right now and go, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just worried that I'm not going to measure up. I'm worried I'm going to look bad and everything. How would you respond to them and encourage them to come? Cecil. Well, it's funny because that's actually, I think that's one of the reasons Daryl and I really started to become friends years ago. We bonded over the same thing. Both of us failed a lot. You know, we both got our ass kicked. Um, Daryl will talk about like, he's not a natural shooter right? He had to work at it. I'm the same way. I, there's, I don't have any natural skills at shooting everything. I'm, I have to gain in jujitsu wise, hand-to-hand wise, shooting wise. It's all work, which means I failed a lot. I know Daryl's failed a lot. That's the pro, you know, I think we all look at the end state. We look at the guys at this level and you forget, you don't, you didn't see how they got there. They, you miss all the failure. We all fail. We're all going to have failures. I go through that when Daryl first told me what he was going to do for that final test, I was like, I'm not going to shoot that because I'm going to fail miserably in front of the students because it's, it's a hard situation, but that's why we do it. So we're not looking to grade anybody. It's not, ah, ha, ha, you suck. It's, are you getting something out of this? And are you better at the end of the class than you were at the beginning? Does that mean that you're awesome? You're John Wick now? I don't care. All I care about is that you're substantially safer, more capable, more dangerous to bad guys after you spend the, you know, two days and a few hours on Friday night training with the three of us. And if you fail along the way, cool. That just means you're going to learn better. I, so I, I've competed a lot in jujitsu and I will tell you that my record is not, is way under 500. I've lost more matches than I want. I've, I've lost more uh, tournament matches than I won, but here's the thing. Every single loss I've learned something amazing from, whereas some of my wins yeah, okay, cool. I get my hand raised. I get a gold medal. Yay. But I almost don't remember that. I almost don't remember those fights. I don't remember those situations. I remember, oh man, I can't believe that guy got me with that move. And, and you learn from those failures. I've, I've lost plenty of matches in tournaments. I've never lost the same way twice. I always come up with new ways to embarrass myself, but at least it's, it's not a repeat of the same thing. So if somebody's worried about failure, myself, Daryl, Chuck, we're not sitting in judgment. I, you know, when Daryl said, we're going to coach you through it, that's exactly right. We're going to coach you to be better. We're going to help you to be better. We're not going to sit there and make fun of you and go, Oh, you're not a cool guy like us. No, we're going to make you better. And we want you to fail because then you're going to learn stuff and then we can help you get better at that kind of stuff. Well, we might pick on you a little. 
A little bit. In good fun. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but it'll be in fun. You'll be laughing too if we're doing yeah. it. Yeah. The the reality is you cannot get experience without failure. To have true experience, you have to have failures. That's where we really learn from. All of your learning and knowledge comes from or should come from failure. That's how we get better is failing at things of being put in a situation, not doing well and correcting it. And we now have, now we have an experience. Now we have some experience. It's not, I I read a book or I saw a TV show or I watched a video and now I have experience. No, you don't. All you do is you've seen something, but you've never experienced it. Failure is what gives you that experience. The only way you're going to develop any level of wisdom at this stuff and true knowledge is going down the failure path. And if people aren't willing, and there's a lot of people who, this industry attracts a lot of people whose egos cannot handle failure. And they will focus only on the things they do good at. They will not do anything to hurt them, their their precious ego because it doesn't fit their whatever they're looking for the reality is when you look in that mirror man that reflection knows you're weak you know you can lie to yourself all you want that man i gotta this time on this drill and therefore i'm invincible on the street but you won't come to a class like this where we're going to give you a problem that doesn't look like what you've been practicing over and over and over and over to stroke your ego, but it's not stroking. It's not building knowledge. It's not building experience. It's not building wisdom. You've never failed at it. There's a lot of issues with that. We have got to get you. We have got to show you failure to show you success. If that makes sense, we have got to let you kind of, do what you think is going to happen and then it doesn't quite work out do some coaching and then say let's do this again and see how it pans out or let's let you watch some other people do that now that you have this knowledge of how this goes bad and you'll find it funny because some of the students especially the ones who volunteer to go first well now they get to watch a bunch of other people do these surprise events and they'll be kind of funny because they're laughing because they go oh i know what's coming they're going to totally mess this up just like i did but that's part of the whole process and what we do is we end up building this entire coaching team with the students that we all try to build each other into a shared experience that will give us some shared knowledge some shared wisdom and some shared opportunities to be able to discuss this stuff in a way that everybody benefits of having a much more realistic view of what application of force looks like on the street and what too much looks like and what not enough looks like and you know and give you some tools for that so you know part failure is part of it if you know you and everybody will do it and you know we give and you know the instructors will go through the same drills we'll let the students put the stuff together we'll go through it with you um you know we get to play stump the instructor as well 
and it's not so much to prove how awesome we are because we could screw it up as bad as anybody. Now it hasn't happened yet, but what it does is it also lets them see what dedicated practice with decades of work it is what that's supposed to look like or a potential for them to see here's what I did here's what I got coached through and now I've also got to observe what it looks like on kind of a finer on a better technical end and you know something I can now mimic so it, you know I think it's a real good program like I said this is one of the most applicable classes especially for people who you know, are just taking shooting classes or they've just had a concealed handgun license class and they think they're completely qualified for dealing with street crimes and they're not even in the ballpark, but it'll show them pretty, pretty firsthand that, you know, you got some work to do and you got some different stuff to think about. They didn't give you on the check the box class. You know, Sometimes when I'm teaching a class on the weekends or I'm attending one, I'll leave after class and start driving back on Sunday night with the, I'll just find a hotel room somewhere along the way when I get tired. That has led me to choose several bad hotels and places that I didn't want to stay. Uh, led me to having to cross over a mountain in the middle of a thunderstorm one night. Um, just all other sorts of travel calamities and hilarity that has ensued in some of these trips versus when the times when I pick where I'm going to stop for the night and make my reservation before I leave. Now, yes, yeah, sometimes I get to that hotel and go, you know what, I wish I'd scheduled somewhere an hour, hour and a half down the road because I still feel like driving a little while. But I have avoided getting into those hilarious or calamitous situations when i have made a plan and i'm just executing that plan versus having to make a decision on the fly and, and pull it out and i think that's where you can kind of say this type of class would go is you know we're priming our decisions we're making pre-made decisions in certain to a certain extent and then it's when i see the the stimulus I just execute a decision that I've already made, I've already prepared versus I'm having to create the decision along the way. Does that sound reasonable, Cecil? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's exactly what it is. I think most of what we're doing is it's like you said, it's not exactly, we're not, we're not perfectly making preloaded choices, but we're starting, we kind of have them on the back burner. We've got a few things that we know we can do that have a little versatility. And at the very least that, that step, when it goes to something bad, we're not wasting time. We at least have something that can get us to somewhere or someplace decent. And you're not going to get that taking going to a jujitsu class. You're not going to get that going to a pure technical shooting class. You're not going to get that in a lecture class. You have to actually be doing it yourself and you can do it on the street, but then you pay the price because, you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to make the right, the right decisions. And, or you, you can know, do, okay. you could do it in class where you can make those decisions. Like Daryl said, where you, you can't, you are free to fail. 
Yeah. You know, the other thing too is, is it's, it becomes sort of a gear test as well. So we get pretty locked in in this world about like, what is the coolest, you know, the bestest, fastest, most new, whatever it is that we're all you know, glomering on of this piece of gear that's going to solve whatever problem or I'm going to pick up all this speed or the, the problem for normal people is a lot of that stuff isn't applicable to their day-to-day life with, you know, things that they, they watch on the internet and there's somebody sucking their stomach in, taking a picture on the mirror that looks really good of really well covered yet they need to have an undetectable firearm in the environment they're in. All of a sudden, all the things that we would normally associate with undetectable carry where do they get to practice and try that stuff? You know, go, go to a class and go, Hey, I'm going to try and dig this gun out of a, you know, thunderware, or I'm going to try to do this with a shoulder holster or an ankle rig or whatever I have to care or a purse, you know, or some of these things, we will give the students the opportunity to, safely work through this stuff with what their carry method is that happens to fit their environment it's just not the cool internet thing right now um and let you kind of work with whatever you're really kind of stuck working with in order to be able to do that and nobody's going to throw the Oh, that's a rule violation of IDPA rule 742-6. So you're not able to test this ever because we at whatever organization or whatever range or whatever say you can't do that. We pretty much will walk you through. Now we'll, we'll modify what we need to do for safety, but if we'll modify it so that you can actually work with what you may have to work with at work. Um, and we practice what we preach. I mean, we're out there working with some of this stuff to ensure that we have the skills. Um, you know, I just got back from the store to get a Tomcat. <laughs> this is not something I would normally carry, but you know, somebody, this may be the only thing they have. I got to be able to teach on this, you know, and I'm doing a lot of small gun stuff right now because it's where I'm finding people need a lot of help with because everywhere they go, they tell them you can't carry a little gun because you'll die. Well, and they're like, but if I can't carry a little gun, I can't carry a gun. And then, you know, of course the internet throws at them. Well, with this holster system with seven, you know, you you, you certainly can. Um, And it's like, dude, what's your job? Well, I'm a tactical firearms instructor. So that works for me you know well the rest of the world is working in reality where the simple little accident with a shirt riding up a bump uh seeing a magazine under a stall in a bathroom any of these things will be a life-changing event and possibly criminal prosecution you know all of a sudden it's a big deal and we have focused this class around it for those people that you know the, yeah it, you you might fail on some of the shooting drills so what the one thing you won't fail at in this class is 
that my concealment system is undetectable. It may not be fast. It may not be deliver some of the uh, industry standards of shooting times and performance, but we're going to try to coach you through being able to use what fits your lifestyle so that you can have a positive come out of it rather than everybody just tells you your gun sucks or your holster sucks, or I would never carry that way because I'm a tactical firearms instructor, you know, okay, that's cool. Or I'm a cop. Great. You know, that badge does a lot, but you know, most people don't have one of those to get them out of trouble. And even uh, carrying one of those 50 state, uh, you know, things I have, uh, I work in a lot of environments now. They don't care what that badge says. You're not carrying a gun. Uh, so, you know, we're back to square one where I get to work like everybody else does. So this is all critically important stuff for a lot of people. And society is not getting any better in metropolitan areas. You know where all the robberies are happening? Yeah, it's not getting better in those areas for more accessibility to carrying firearms, weapons, and, and using force. Uh, you know, country world's getting pretty good about not being tolerant of this, but city world is a very, very dangerous place with a lot of restrictions on, on protecting yourself. So we're going to try to kind of coach you through working through that. It's funny you held up that, that Tomcat. Uh, I had a part-time job in, in addition to my cop work that the part-time job was the textbook non-permissive environment. Uh, it would have been illegal for me to be doing what it was had I not had a badge to cover me if I got caught. But covering if I got caught, it was not going to stop me from getting fired from that part-time job and maybe causing problems with me on the full-time job. And so one of my solutions... And you'll never be doing that part-time job again. Right, You're exactly. You're blacklisted forever from it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, I carried a Beretta Tomcat in my back pocket as if it was a wallet. So that if something happened to me going in and out of the, the building, you know, between where I was working to where my vehicle was, if someone accosted me in the parking lot demanding my wallet, well, they were going to get a Tomcat. All right, now, that was not ideal. That was not my preferred choice of what I carry because I'll, at work all day, I was carrying a full-size duty gun with two spare magazines to go along with it and a radio to call more people if I needed them. Exactly. But now I'm in this other environment where I can't do that. Well, I may not, I could, but I may not. And so I had to adapt my gear to that environment. And so I see where, you, where you're going with the, with the problem there. And I think that's what we're talking about with non-pervisive environment. Am I on the right track there? Absolutely. And it's, it's funny because that's where I've spent my entire life, right? Okay, great. I live in a state that's as pro-gun and pro-self-defense as there gets, right? So I don't, I rarely face a legal non-permissive environment, uh -huh. but that's the least of my worries. I'm in an environment and I have since I've been out of college where I will not just lose my job. Because, you know, that's always it. Oh, we get another job. <laughs> sure. Because what's the first thing that the next employer asks you? What's the, Why did you leave? Why, did, why you leave? did you leave your last job? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, I carried a gun when I wasn't supposed to. Okay, thank you for coming by. The interview's done. 
you know, and all these people who just throw that stuff out on social media, you can tell they've never actually done this kind of stuff because they wouldn't say that stupidity. They've never hired somebody and they've never had to go, you know, with their hat in hand to get a new job. So my entire professional life is in this environment. Uh, one of the two people in this world that's most dear to me, close people, she spent her entire, I mean, since she was a kid wanting to be in a particular profession. She has two to actually three degrees now, all in this profession. She's been working at it now eight or nine years, eight years. Great. Okay. But it is a definite MPE. Oh, okay, cool. You know what? Go ahead and carry anyway. And don't worry about it. Carry that Glock 19. Cause everybody, you know, all the, all the industry people say it's just as easy to conceal a Glock 19 as it is a, you know, a Tomcat, no big deal. And if you get caught, you just get a new job. No, she'll, this profession, she's literally spent her entire life. She'll never get a job in that profession ever again. All the thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point in her schooling and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it doesn't, it, it's no good. And the problem's been too much of the industry is people who don't understand that. They're cops who do cops up, which is cool, military, cool, or they are employed in some fashion in the gun industry, writers, uh, work for a manufacturer, salesperson, something. And that's all good. And I'm not being negative on any of it, but that doesn't, you don't understand an MPE, right? You had to have that job, that part-time job outside of the law enforcement thing to understand that, you know? Um, at the time, this is, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, I'm looking around trying to figure out what I should do, how I can carry and all the magazines, everything I'm like, am I on another planet? Do I exist in another world? Because these people aren't saying anything that I can use. They're telling me I, I could just shove that you know, full-size gun down my pants. No big deal. Dress around the gun. Well, I can't dress around the gun. I have a dress code. I can't walk into a client's dress like a slob. Yeah, I'd love, I would love nothing more to wear to, uh, an Aloha shirt and cargo shorts everywhere I go. Yes. You know, yeah, that client, when we're talking about a $100,000, you know, contract, they're, they're, they're going to kick me out if I show up like that. So, and I think, realistically if you look at it that's 90 percent of the population have some kind of variation on that whether it's a legal mp like daryl said you're talking about chicago new york san francisco those people deserve to have a, a chance at self-defense too right just just because they're forced to live in that situation doesn't mean that they've given up their rights to self-defense uh, we need to help them to do it. And actually, you know, like Daryl said, I think one of the things that people got out of the class almost more than anything else was that like two hour gear discussion, that Q and a, because we're throwing around, Hey, this is why I do this. This fits. I do this some of the time because this Daryl's, I do this and this, and there's lots of overlap, but there's some that's not overlap because Chuck's life is different than mine. Daryl's life is different than mine. So but here's these people, these whatever, how many students we had, 15 students or whatever, who were like, ah, that part is familiar to me, but that's not. 
So I'll listen to that. And we can talk about the pros of pocket carrier, ankle carrier, shoulder holster, but we can, we also talk about the negatives. Hey, here's what you got to watch for. Yeah. Pocket carry is great, but not here. Ankle carry is great, but not here. So being able to talk to people like that and just say, listen, you have the right to self-defense. Let's figure out what works for you. Have something, something more than harsh language, you know, and mindset. <laughs> Have something else that can help you out. And that's really all we're talking about. And you know, we can fine tune it. Oh, I have a social MPD. Somebody's got a legal MP. Okay, well, now that's going to, you know, we have to like, like Daryl's situation where he's stuck at, in Chicago. That's definitely a legal MP for the most part. Well, there's ways around it. And at least we can mitigate it. And we can talk about that and deal with it as opposed to, oh, now we're here. What do we do? Because I can't carry. I can't carry my super guy with my two reloads and my backup gun and all that kind of stuff there. We still should be able to at least be dangerous to bad guys, you know, and I, it's, it's frustrating, you know, and that's, again, that's one of the reasons why Daryl and I started talking years ago and we, and we could bond on this stuff. It's like, as soon as he started, you know, working in normal retail world, He's having to deal with all that stuff. So we're like, yeah, did you find this? Oh yeah, this and this. So now we're just trying to pass that on to the next generation of people. They don't have to wait like Daryl and I did and make ton of, you know, failures, you know, here, here's some stuff. So you're already ahead just because it's not cool to carry ankle, you know, to run an ankle gun right now, you know, just because it's cool. It's not cool to have a shoulder holster doesn't mean it's not valid yeah. yeah you know we uh we talk also a lot we address consequence and consequence is one of those things that gets left out a lot of these conversations that need to be a big part of them you know consequences of getting caught with stuff consequences of a gear choice which might look really good on paper but when we start asking what's going to be the consequence when you're sitting there with that being presented to a jury um a lot of this stuff, decision consequences, gear choice consequences, um, both good and bad. You know, what's the consequence of you carrying the subcaliber gun? You know, there's some consequences to that as well that you're going to have to adapt to. And we just really feel that the realistic information exchange is what the students can really get out of this is hey, that's not what all the, 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 the social media influencers say I should do, but I can't face the consequences of doing what they say I should do. And we're going to kind of coach you through some alternatives to that, that you can accept and deal with consequences on both ends that, you know, hey, you might have to choose to carry a firearm that is absolutely not optimal for shooting and this is what you're going to have to do to work around that because you do have something that's not optimal for this so you know again it's back to uh discussing things that don't get discussed a lot 
and uh, that you won't find in a traditional class. So this is not a shooting class, not a fighting class. It's a application of force. And, um, you know, everybody likes to talk about avoidance. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't avoid you and how to deal with things when avoidance ain't doing it you know oh uh, yeah i'm an uh, expert in avoidance uh which is you know code word for i never you know uh, yeah, i'm going to work on a zoom meeting and uber brings me my food you know um yeah that's all nice and everything but you know sometimes you know sometimes you might end up like daryl and get kicked out of a plane in the, out of an airport in the middle of the night at 11 o'clock in chicago finding a place to go stay and you are stuck with what you carried onto the plane and that's your options you know i chose yeah, well, that, the bag doesn't come out <laughs> i chose that tomcat that I, I previously mentioned because it was flatter than a revolver and i could pull off yeah. the, it looked like a wallet in my back pocket however i have also found in actually testing the guns that when i get the smaller i go with the gun I am better with a J frame size revolver than I am a Tomcat or a G 43 size pistol. So I know if we start going down the gear road, we'll be here for another three hours. Uh, and without you giving away all of your class material, just hit on a couple of things that managing the guns that just aren't ideal. And anything that you the, might have uh, known the from, clue, from gear that you're willing to give away. The clue, we, 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 we told the students the clue should be that when all of the instructors are basically carrying this, you know, who came to this thing and we kind of prepped it with, we're going to show up like we're going to ask the students to. And kind of in the, the thing, um, you know, when all of the instructors show up wearing the same gun that the internet says sucks. Um, this should be a clue that maybe there is something to this for working in this environment that we might know. And, you know, some of the little autos were great. There's not, you know, it's just they come with consequences and we'll let you see that. I mean, I can tell you that, hey, we've seen that some of these smaller guns, especially the semi-autos, if improperly gripped, trying to get that under a high stress situation may fail to extract uh, I'm going to let you see that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to let you, well, I shoot it at the range all the time and it's hundred percent reliable. Awesome. I'm going to make you dig that thing out and go to work. And you might find that it's hundred percent awesome. And you might find that it's not hundred percent awesome and make some adaptation to that. And again, that's the that's where you're, you're actually gaining valuable experience versus, well, I've run 100 problem three rounds through this at the indoor shooting range in an environment that is nothing but, you know, uh, where I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to draw and I wasn't the, and, you know, you become sort of a victim of your own experience. Now you're going to be a victim of our experience and we'll let you sort of experience what that looks like. And again, it may, it, you know, I think a lot of people probably made some gear changes and even some of the stuff like uh, blades, you know, uh, impact weapons, some of the stuff people are carrying. And then I have to ask the question, uh, it, I, I, I understand it's legal. Um, you know, the Daryl Bulky thing of uh, what is the 58 year old second grade school teacher going to think of that who's sitting, that's your peer on the, the, your peer on the jury is a 58-year-old second-grade school, elementary school teacher um, who sings in the choir on Sunday. That's going to be your peer. What's she going to think of that, you know, as far as 
and kind of balancing some of these things. What's your, if you do get found with this item, what are the local police response going to look at this like? You know, there's going to be these questions and we'll ask them and, and, and at least now you're, you're, the students can answer those questions from a position of some level of experience as opposed to some level of, well, I read on, on so-and-so's Instagram page. Awesome. You know, awesome. Cause you know, it's funny. We know so-and-so the influencer and they got zero experience at this, but we're good. You now have more experience than they do, you know, because you're out here working rather than driving, you know, likes and, you know, let's see if that works for you. If it does great, you know, it's a success. If it doesn't, we can fix it. It's a success. Any way we, we cut this, it's going to come out as a success at the end. We're going to come back to Blade real quick because you opened up one thing that's perfect to this topic, but I want to hear, but I want to hear Cecil's uh, answer to this question about the managing the small guns. Um, one of the things we did on the last one, and hopefully we're going to be able to do it on this one as well, is we let people try other guns. Hey, here's a, here's a 22 Tomcat. Here's a 32 Tomcat. Here's this, here's the, here's all these different guns. And like Daryl said, let's, I will let you shoot them here. Do it in this context that you're actually carrying it. And, and like Daryl said, if you, if you find out, Hey, you know what? I really have problems shooting small autos, but small revolvers work or vice versa. That's perfectly fine. There's not an answer to this. There are answers that fit contextually. And so all we're trying to do is let you find it out for yourself. You know, hey, maybe I can run a Tomcat with no problems. I can, you know, I can do it. No problem. It fits my hand. Everything's great. But then the guy next to me on the line, you know, every time he tries to shoot it, his part of his hand is jamming the slide or, or hitting the mag release or whatever on whatever gun. So all we're trying to do is like, let's see. Let's, let's see, let's, let's take this opportunity to put it through some real testing and you decide for you, what is going to be a better answer. You know, I know we had a couple people in the last class who were running small autos who were like, you know what, small revolver makes more sense for me. And we're not like, oh, yay, more revolver people. Uh, it's not that it's great. You made that decision after seeing and experiencing all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and we'll let you do it. You know, Chuck and Daryl are great at getting people to run small autos and small revolvers. So you can play with it, but let's see, let's put it, you know, not when it's perfect on the range, when everything's going your way, but with a little bit of test. And, you know, that's all we're trying to do. Trying to give you that experience, that, that experiential learning of, Let's find out when, when we aren't going to suffer too many consequences of it. Speaking of blades, you know, the whole center line fixed blade thing mm -hmm. has become very, very big over the last couple of years. Yep. And I just thought of this as something we need to be throwing out there as the industry. We need to be looking at state laws on preemption where it's so like here in Georgia, Local governments are pre preempted by state law from regulating the carry of firearms. They are not preempted by state law for regulating the carry of knives. 
And so you may be perfectly legal in carrying your Roland Special, your Beretta 92 that's worked over your Glock 19, etc. But the fixed blade knife that you're carrying may be a violation of a local ordinance that gets you thrown in jail. Yep. And I don't see any discussion of and, that on the internet. Go ahead, Daryl. And the violation of the 58-year-old second grade school teacher law, yeah. which isn't a law, but it's something you're going to face. You know, and I, I have people with a lot of, you know, you know, how well are you able to articulate your gear? Because I'm carrying it because so-and-so on the internet is carrying it is not very good articulable stuff where for example if somebody goes to a class like this for example or want to see and, and you know I'll, I'll tell you you know this is we are not drinking out of the same uh trough on a lot of this i'm not a big fan of the small pecal knives carried center line it's not my it's not my thing it's not how i do it i have another way of doing it um, with a different type of blade. So I'm not going to say that's bad, but you may be able to go, well, I found that while in an entangled situation, this works for me to be able to access whatever it is, but can at least speak from some level of experience. Hey, why do you carry a knife like that? The answer can't be, well, so-and-so's like a, a 73rd degree jujitsu ninja and that's what they carry so that's why i'm carrying that's not the right answer when you're in a, a a criminal investigation a civil uh situation a courtroom situation an interview post incident these are not the times for that answer that it would sure be better if your answer was, well, I took this class where I found that if I get knocked to the ground and am being assaulted, that this type of blade is accessible to me in that type of dire situation and it works for my build, size, whatever. And then you get to couple that, does it, does it pass the legality test of certain things and again we get back into work rules and i mean i'll give you a perfect example you know a lot of the places that my wife works also are no weapons environments but requires use of a blade for certain activities at work which sort of locks you into she does a lot of work with non-locking slip joints and i have had people in our industry go Dude, you got like NSN number knives named after you and stuff. How are you letting your wife carry a slip joint? It's like, well, my wife's a retired taxidermist and understands how to carve up animals, is working every single day cutting God knows what of all sorts of different stuff in another work environment with that slip joint knife that she is constantly pulling out, opening, using, closing, returning to its carry position, all of this stuff. Doesn't that make more sense that she's really good with that thing that works will not get her fired from work that is authorized by the job than carrying something that as soon as somebody sees it, you're fired. 
you, you know, sometimes you got to work in the parameters you're given. And, you know, if I could carry a katana every day, I probably would, but you really, and I probably legally can in a lot of places, but it's not socially acceptable. And we deal in this class a lot with what is socially acceptable versus somehow legal. We definitely delve into the socially acceptable side because it's a factor nobody wants to talk about, but it actually is a real factor. Yeah, for, for three years before I went to college, I had a job in which there was a very strict no firearms, no weapons type policy. And I carried a buck lock blade in a sheath on my belt that my grandmother gave me every day. And nobody said a word about it. And they all knew it was a knife because they'd seen me cut things with it. But it was looked at as a tool, not as a weapon. And, you know, I kept my job because a security guard liked me and did not report me for the pistol that was in my truck when they did a vehicle search as we were all leaving the premises one night. All right. So, yeah, all this stuff has consequences. Cecil, you got anything on the knives before we move on? Um, One thing, I mean, so I actually designed a a particular sheath for one of those knives. I think it's actually, it's a good sheath. It's a super, it's, it's, it's good access and it's really concealable. I, I thought I did a pretty good job. Yay, Cecil. But here's the thing. You have to have clothing that hangs over your belt to conceal the knife. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. I have not been able to figure out how to do that otherwise. So for me in my Monday through Friday, 830 to 530 life, I'm not carrying that. I can't. It's just not possible. And mindlessly aping somebody else's thing because this is the preferred cool guy stuff or whatever that's that just leads to tons of poor choices you you have to think what fits for me what is my context what can i get away with that puts me in the best position possible you know i'd love to carry a fixed blade knife center line all the time i can't it's basically my weekend thing at this point or if i'm traveling to a place where it's legal but i can't do it all the time it's just this this idea that that there's one answer of this gun this holster whatever this gear is works great for everybody and if you don't do this you're poor or stupid or lazy i mean it's that i hate that attitude it's Let's figure out what works best for you in your situation. Forget all the Instagram, YouTube, cool guy stuff. What works best? Carrying a fixed blade knife work great. You center, you know, forward to the hips. Awesome. Great. But like Daryl said, have a reason, have a, a, a real reason, something that you can think about and you can verbalize, not because you've memorized, you know, a simple phrase. I'm in fear for my life, you know? It's why are you, why are you doing this? Well, this, 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 and this, and this cool. And it, it, 
all those other things. Yeah, you got to check legality and stuff, but fairly, you got to know why you're carrying and what you're doing for yourself or what you're training or whatever. You have to understand the reasons for it, not just because, you know, man, I I really like Daryl and Chuck and Cecil, so I'm going to go hang out with them for the weekend. No, 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 no. Don't come to class for that. Come to class because you think we got something to offer in the class, you know, not just because you want to hang out with cool guys, which we're not. So that would be Chuck. That'd be Chuck. Exactly. It's not me and Daryl. It's not a fireman now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck's a fireman now. So he's extra cool. He's cool. Everybody can love him because he's a fireman. Exactly. Everybody loves Chuck. Yeah. Like there was a reason when I worked vice, I always told the prostitutes I was a fireman. They love firemen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you want to discuss anything about reactive and proactive responses? Um, I think I touched on it earlier, just the idea Mm -hmm. that, again, ideally, we're going to be able to make decisions that, oh, this is the time I need to do X, Y, and Z. That's that's great. But the reality is sometimes we're behind the eight ball. And so, yeah, let's have some proactive stuff where I make this decision, but also a reactive thing that still keeps me in the fight, keeps me conscious, keeps me mobile, allows me to still do things that I can get out of this safely. Um, and it, and it goes back just to that understanding that, look, it would be great if we always have 100% perfect situational awareness and head on a swivel and we're always checking our six and whatever pithy phrase that we want to throw around. The reality is that's not life. And sometimes we're going to be reacting as opposed to being proactive. And I, 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 I think it's important at the very least just to get people to understand that. Cause I think too often we're sold a bill of goods in the community of like, Oh, you're a gunfighter. You're ready to go. You're always going to, your head's always going to be on a swivel. No, it's not. It's just that it's not going to, that's not how life is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, again, a lot of this becomes easy for people to talk about. It's hard to do. And, you know, that um, we end up in, you know, we're hopefully going to give people's tools to see that how to react to people encroaching on you, either criminally or not, because most of those encroachments actually start with non-criminal encroachment and then escalate. So it's kind of hard to proactively deal with this stuff you know um otherwise you know we we you may need to uh you know just kind of change some of the stuff you're doing um to make a decision of just not being there um i actually was really proud of myself last night i watched some psychopath you know, i'm walking the dog in the middle of the night carrying a 22 lcr you know and somebody, hey, you know, some screaming maniac on dope and, you know, I was really good about turning and going a different direction and not even dealing with that because I was able to pick it up. Yep, I had pepper spray, flashlight, and a firearm, but and an edge, had two edge weapons, but I didn't have to use any of that because I was a little proactive on him. You know what? That dude is not in his right mind. I'm going to just avoid that. And it's great to say we're going to be able to do that, but it's also the amount of people he walked up to 
obviously for them, it was reactive. For me, it was proactive. Yep. It's, but we're going to try to give you some opportunities to see what that looks like on how these approaches look in the real world. And I got, I got to say, Chuck's really good at, we use Chuck a lot for the role player who will come in and start putting people in these scenarios of having to deal with this. We will start some of the firearm stuff with somebody actually a, a, a live Chuck doing an interaction with the student. And then I will maybe pull them and put them into it. Okay. Here's what happened. Now we're going to escalate this to, I will Chuck with a paper target that you now have to deal with. So we're going to give them the things to watch how this will go from different levels of what it looks like on the street, because it, it, most of these do not come off with there. I was, you know, standing there at the ATM and, you know, I saw the guy approach and my tactical mirrored interior mirrored glasses. And I turned around and executed a textbook you know, 180 turn and do a sub one second draw for my, you know, that's not how it happens. You know, if you diagnose most shootings and ask people, it wasn't remotely what they ever thought it was going to end up being. And most of these things end up coming out of some disturbing level of things going bad on, on a snowball effect of chaos. Yeah. We'll try to teach you how to kind of recognize that and deal with it, or at least reel some of that back into some level of control. You know, or understand consequences for for failures or on actions you do or or how that works you know the dynamic of of you know what what to expect when people approach you most of the people who approach you are not going to criminally attack you i was approached so by a lady most in a, of the, <laughs> i was approached by a lady in a yeah, parking the lot life. the other day asking him for money to buy medicine Right. Well, so the reason most people are approaching you is they're gauging the situation. You know, I mean, the reason criminals, violent criminals are using the same approach that the sort of nonviolent criminals is so that they don't look like a criminal approach. The reason the non-criminal people approaching you, as far as not violent criminal, they're criminals, but not violent the ones who are coming up with the scam of I need medicine for me and my baby, they're using that approach because sometimes you may get approached by somebody who actually is somebody legitimately in distress. Mm-hmm. And all of these situations sort of start out all looking the same and they just sort of pan out differently. You know, somebody may legitimately be asking you what time it is, you know, other people are asking you what time it is to get close to you or start a conversation. Other people are getting you to look at your watch so that they're going to club you in the face yep. or to access a firearm and, and, and shoot you or whatever. It, so all of these things kind of start the same that we need to now adapt to. And we're going to try to give you a, a situation to be able to adapt to that and to understand what some of the cues will look like or what kind of decisions you're going to have to start making in, in the space, what they actually look like versus a sterile range environment you've been training in on what that space looks like. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of the point of, of where these reactionary times and, and uh, distances and, you know, work. All right, Cecil, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you really want to tell people about the class? Um, 
The only thing I, I, I really like to reiterate that it's not fight club and it's not high speed, you know, grandmaster shooting. It's getting people real everyday people. Uh, Daryl, what did, what did, um, what did Pat Rogers call them? Normal earth, normal earth it? people. Yeah. Normal earth people. Yeah. Normal earth, normal earth people. Right. Yeah. Normal earth people and the things they have to deal with and ways that we can be a little bit safer. That, that's really it. It's, I don't care who you are. I don't care the background. It's, it's for everybody. It's not, Oh, you got to be in the cool guy club or you got to be this. So you gonna be this. No, anybody can do this. So if it's your, like Daryl said, if it's your first real training after you got your CCW cool. Or if you've had, you know, you take five classes a year and you've been doing that for 10 years, still for you that that that's the only thing i just want people to understand we're not uh, we'll we'll scale it to who whatever we're not going to run anybody off just because oh cecil likes to fight and you know or, or daryl's gonna you know make him do the super test and put it online or i don't know it's we're gonna try to get you better it doesn't matter where you're coming from daryl same question there's going to be no test, you know, that you can pass. There's going to be no coins, patches, accolades, class winner, class loser. We're not going to have any of that. Um, there's going to be no, you know, we're going to pride ourselves on nobody getting hurt, um, including your ego. You know, even the failures we try to turn into a success with, wow, I'm glad I did that in class instead of that. And then it got it corrected as opposed. So it's really geared towards not training junkies um, of people who just want to live their life. And if, again, if there was one class you took because you took a CHL class or whatever, and you're thinking about carrying weapons of some sort or defending yourself in a daily environment, this would be the one that is going to be probably the least stressful in how it's delivered as far as that we don't expect you to pass a some sort of shooting test to get a coin or a drill that's named after somebody or there's not going to be any of that it's going to be we're going to let you make decisions under stress and see how that looks and then you'll have experience in making decisions under stress and what they look like and you're going to leave with experience you didn't have in the beginning and you're going to leave with an opportunity to talk to some people who have some level of expertise in these areas in a very casual environment of hey i saw this on youtube is that viable and if we all start laughing it's probably not viable we may ask some questions like, do you do this, this, and this? Because in that scenario, it's viable. And in this scenario, it's not viable. What fits you? And try to, because we keep this class small and because we keep the number of students to instructors when we're breaking the groups down, you do get a lot of kind of personal time with it. And uh, it's, you know, like I said, I think it's a great class. Um, you know, one of my favorites, and there's a lot of accountability, consequence, learning, experience, and all, all the stuff versus you know a shooting class or a fighting class or a pepper spraying class. And right. you know, if you want to get live sprayed, I'm sure Chuck will do it for you. But most of it's <laughs> going to all be inert. 
I'll tell you what, anyone that volunteers to get live sprayed, Cecil, you take them to Brahms after class. Let me know how much money I owe you, and I'll buy an ice cream cone for anybody that agrees to get live sprayed. All right. All right. I'll I'll let them know. I'll let everybody know. Hey, you get <laughs> I brought Brahms my yeah. treat for an ice cream you cone. Get a free or a milkshake, Sunday, whatever yep. you want. <laughs> yeah, obviously I'll pay, pay you some money or something. Go ahead, Daryl. You've made so much money on this podcast, you can now pop butter pecan for victims of pepper spray. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm a peanut butter cup guy from Boston, peanut butter cup. So, yeah, Cecil, uh, get the, the butter pecan, and but you, you can have whatever flavor you want if you take the whatever you spray. want. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I will put the link hopefully to the registration in the show notes for this, but we've had some problem with links blocking the distribution of, of the show. So just in case that fails, the registration is on the immediate action combatives event right page. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. All right. Uh, I shared that link in the, that weems got group on Facebook earlier today. I'll put it up on my, my, uh, uh, first person safety Facebook page just to make sure it gets out there again and I will try to put it in the show notes for people that are listening or that watch it on YouTube so that you can go directly to it but if not just go to Eventbrite and look for yep. it. it's at the Mead Hall range yep. which is in um, McAllister not McAllister McLeod Oklahoma McCl- yeah McLeod Oklahoma McLeod yeah and I think there's a link to it on the Mead Hall range web page as well yes there is yeah uh, Bill put that up a while ago yes yeah so that that's how you can get to it and uh Cecil, what else do you have coming up other than this class that you need to Ooh, I got a bunch. Um I'm in Austin in in August. Um oh man, I got a ton in September, October, November. Um go to my website. I, I half the time I can't even remember. You know, I a couple weeks out, it'll be like, oh, I better buy an airline ticket. <laughs> and I better find a hotel. Yeah. Well, just start uh, driving and flying. It'll be okay. You'll, you'll yeah, exactly. I'll just, I'll just head in a general direction and stop at some flea bag crack hotel on the, on the highway, you know, where the hills have eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't do introductions and tell people what companies you represent. Immediate action combatives for Cecil. We just yeah. jumped right in because you've both been on before. Daryl, what you got uh, coming up? I'm doing a uh, uh, hits first responder pistol class at John Murphy's place in a couple weeks. Uh, we still have openings in that. Um, I'm doing that one solo, so you just get me. And then um, the biggie we're always prepping for is that it, it's we'll be going full bore, getting ready for the uh, Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup at Gunsight. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Um, basically, you come in Friday night immersed in the art of the revolver for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And uh, it is a tremendous experience that, it, and it's the cheapest way you'll ever go to gun site. Um, I can't help what happens in the gun site pro shop, but as far as tuition goes, um, if you want to put your foot in the gun site thing, that's the way to do it. And it is an absolute ball of a class as far as the instructor. We bring a lot of instructors in uh, with extensive revolver experience and you get to kind of custom tailor classes to what you want to learn and it's 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 pretty amazing process so uh we're looking forward to that at the uh end of november as well and that's up on the gun site page and i think there's a link to it also on the, the hits uh facebook page as well Shotgun and we're summit. about that close we're getting we're getting close to the uh to the 
uh, have an actual website again um, that works. Uh, Shot- Shotgun, Shotgun Summit, September uh, 9th, 10th, and 11th. Um, yeah, that's going to be um, in Dallas. It's going to be pretty well zapped in about eight seconds after it goes. And But we are already planning for next year in probably Vegas, hosted by Bank Comp to do mm. sort of like the Revolver Roundup where it'll be we can get a lot of people out there with a lot of instructors. So, um, you know, this first one is going to be, uh, we're going to get all the instructor development down and all working together. And then uh, we're planning on taking that pretty big next year. Um, you know, and you know, an excuse to go to probably Vegas, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, thunder sticks and in Vegas will be great. So all right, that's, that's the biggies. Audience, uh, I have stuff coming up in first weekend in June in Terre Haute, Indiana, and that class is in danger of not making. Uh, we got blizzarded out in February, and the reschedule is just not doing that well sales-wise. So if you're anywhere near Terre Haute and you want to come take a class from me, first weekend in June, if you go to firstpersonsafety.com, you can get to my schedule. Last weekend in June, um, Kalamazoo, Michigan, August will be at the Royal Range in Nashville, Tennessee. And then in October, I will be at the Miamisburg um, Club, which is just outside of Dayton, Ohio. And there might be a spotting appearance there. Uh, so please sign up for one of those if you're interested in taking a class. And uh, Cecil, the last time you were on the show, I had one of those big emotional moments talking about oh, yeah. family. Remember, I ended up cutting yeah. it out because I got one of the rare times I've edited. I ended up cutting it out because uh, I, I got a little more emotional when I was willing to show. Uh, <laughs> and it just dawned on me. You were on today and today would have been my grandmother's 98th birthday. Oh, that's cool. So I have to start looking at the calendar before I start agreeing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> or. or or you're gonna, or you're gonna have to decide. Do you want to look at me anytime? Because I'm gonna dredge up these family memories. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yeah, she was born 98 years ago today, and she was a sport. Um, either a third grade or a fifth grade education, because she had to leave school to go work in the cotton fields after her father died, and she had to help support the family. And uh, she worked. Uh, the whole time that I knew her when she was working, she worked in an aluminum plant, uh, boxing up aluminum cookware as it came down the line. And we told everybody she was a boxer. We wouldn't explain it. But uh, mean Irish Cherokee woman, but uh, she was a hoot. She was a character and I miss her. Um, folks, your most important asset is your time. And we certainly enjoy you uh, spending your time with us. Oh, one last thing I want to say about the, the MPA counter robbery class. The definition of learning is a persisting change in a knowledge, skill, or attitude. And this is a class in which you actually have a chance to learn, not just polish some other skill. You actually have a chance to learn because you may come out with a different skill set, more knowledge. I know you're going to come out with more knowledge. And you may come out with some different attitudes. And that is the definition of learning and that's why you should go to this class and with that thank you for your time